0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and joining me today, someone who, if you give him a roll of duct tape and a pocket knife and a can of whipped cream, he could somehow find a way to turn that into a thermonuclear reactor.
1: Thanks, now the CIA's listening in. <laughs>
0: So you probably recognize that voice is belonging to none other than Dan from Radio I could have C4
1: explosives and plutonium sitting next to me, and I still wouldn't be able to make a bomb. (laughs) I didn't pay attention to those classes. We had bomb making
0: back in high school and and, and school? No. Well, you got to be careful with that bomb talk because, I mean, we're recording this on April, what is it, the 11th today? couple days ago, uh one of your team's wide receivers I forgot his name, but uh one of the we'll guys, just
1: refer to him as dumbass
0: yes, um one of the Green bay packers was at a i guess he was at an airport and he joked oh did you to one of his teammates, oh did you pack the explosives and it's like uh dude, you really what at what point did that seem like a good idea?
1: you can't make a joke like that, you can't even make a riddle. Could you make a limerick, no,
0: a haiku, not, not
1: not not even a haiku or an anecdote.
0: Yes, and I even remember back when I was a little kid. I remember when uh, we went to the Milwaukee County Airport Port. Uh, there was this cardboard cutout that they had positioned in places where it had a picture of like a, you know a cop or something, and it said you know warning, even you know joking about carrying uh Weapons or explosives can lead to, you know, a fine in prison time. And, you know, in a way that actually kind of segues nicely into today's topic. We are going to talk about the glory of the 80s, both good and bad. So one of the things that made me think about doing this topic is every now and then you'll see an article or a video on YouTube where they'll show kids usually the you know children about you know our kids ages sometimes a little younger reacting to things like the Atari 2600 or a Walkman or a, a VHS player. So, do you ever seen have you ever seen those videos or read those articles?
1: No, but um I I can give you an example of, of a situation that actually happened in real time at my house a while back. When my daughter was going through my my c d s and she pulled one out by um by by the by those known bastions of all that is the late eighties poison, and she pulls it out and she goes, "Dad, these girls look weird <laughs> I'm like no, 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 that's that's poison, those are guys, no, they're not well, we all did that joke back then, but they indeed are guys, yeah
0: and Another similar situation, uh, just when we talk about how our kids viewed the things we grew up with. And I've told this story a couple times on the podcast, but back when my son was, I'm wanting to say about four, maybe five, you know, we had a Nintendo Wii at the time. And, you know, he'd seen me play like Super Mario Brothers 3 on it. And I remember he came up to me. He had my old Super Mario Duck Hunt cartridge. And mm-hmm. he's like, Dad, what's this? I'm like, that that's a video game that I used to play when I was a kid. And he was like, It's got Mario on it. I'm like, yeah, that was one of the first Super Mario Brothers games. He's like, Let's play it. He then takes this NES cartridge and tries to figure out how to get it to work with the Wii.
1: Um y- did he?
0: No, he just tried to put it in there and I tried to explain to him no no it's it's a different form of media so but I I just thought that was so funny. I mean, he recognized Mario when he tried to like I said he tried to find a way to make a an NES cartridge fit into the Wii. So well
1: yeah. a few months ago um I was at my 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 parents' place and my my brother has an NES Classic and um Devin was watching him play, and uh, he was playing Contra, and Devin's like, Uncle Ryan, this is just, this game looks so easy, I can't believe that you're you're, you're, you're having problems, and Ryan just looks at me, <laughs> he looks at me, and I just kind of nod, and he goes, okay, you little smartass, give it a try, <laughs> no, no cheat, no, 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 up, up, down, down, BA, et cetera, et cetera, no, no, oh. He didn't, he didn't make it, I mean, he didn't make it to the, to the point where, where you can get the triple shot.
0: <laughs> not so easy when you're actually behind the controller, huh?
1: Not contra. Welcome to Boundary Thriller's Theater. Nah, it's not that kind of show. It's an RPG actual play podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined by our fun-loving cast. This is Aaron. Jeff here. Johnny is my name. And I'm Jeremy. And what we do is dive in and play various tabletop RPG systems and games, such as Mini-Six, Fiasco, Inspectors, Monster of the Week, Fate, and more. But no matter the rule set or setting, some pretty intense storytelling hits the fan. So whether you like epic fantasy adventure, comedy, sci-fi, horror, or just horrifically bad puns. We've got something to feast your imagination on. Listen to our full episodes and more at com. And may the bones fall ever in your favor.
0: You know, in the way those videos make me feel kind of old, sometimes I do kind of laugh at them or chuckle, and it's like... It's like you, you know, kids today. Some of you guys wouldn't have lasted ten minutes in 1985. So that's again those videos and those articles I see now every now and then. That's what made me want to think about this topic. And my personal opinion, and of course, you know, you all are welcome to agree or disagree with me. But in a way, I think that we grew up in a unique time because. I mean, of course, we've seen technology advance a lot in, you know, the 90s and the, uh, you know, the 2000s. But I think we really saw a lot of that in the 80s. I mean, we look at things like computers, cable TV, uh, home media players, video games. We saw how they became more popular and more widespread when you compare that to the 70s. Now, Actually, the,
1: all those things started in the late 70s.
0: Yeah. And, but the thing is, <laughs> I'm
1: sorry, I shouldn't have. Oh, no, that's what I, I was about
0: to say. It's like, while those things, a lot of those things did start in the 70s, it wasn't until the 80s that they started to become a lot more common and widespread. Uh, cause the, the prices began to come down to the point where, you know, you didn't have to be a doctor, a lawyer, or, you know, a, a wealthy businessman to be able to afford some
1: of this stuff. Well, um, consider the fact that I want to say when it first came out in 1977, the Atari VCS, um, if you adjusted for inflation, you would have paid about $750, uh, 2017.
0: Yeah, because I think it was IGN. There's some video game website that they did have that graphic at um, I think you're referring to where it showed the different video game systems through the, the ages or not the ages really the, you know, the last couple of decades and showed how much they would cost in the current day. And yeah, some of them, they were expensive uh, for the yeah. time. And so that's where I said, we, we, we really, I think we grew up in a unique time. Now, there's some people that say that every decade, every era has a certain zeitgeist, a spirit of the era. So for you, what would you say that the zeitgeist of the
1: 80s was? I think it depends on who you're going to talk to. Because even back back then, um, people started getting more and more segmented like they are now. I'd almost say it started then you know you could argue it was uh so and so in the news you could argue it was uh the 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 MTV VJs or rolling stone magazine or uh any number of of groups of people
0: okay so you think the zeitgeist of the era is that society was becoming a bit more divided where it's like okay i've got my tribe, and you've got your tribe, and you know we we see each other more in a competitive light than a cooperative light,
1: yeah, uh, consider this I mean, you go to the early eighties, and it was you know the punks hated the new waivers, who hated the metalheads, who hated the pop people, okay, you know,
0: yeah, I can see that, and for me though, I would have to say really ex- escapism was the zeitgeist of the era for a few reasons, which we're going to be discussing during the show today. Now, I think to some extent, again, depending on who you ask, when we look back at the 80s, some people almost see it like a joke or like almost like a parody of itself. But I think that there's also people who see it as this time that was kind of you know carefree and... Uh, you know, this time of these you know pop stars and home entertainment and home leisure becoming bigger and better, but despite all that shiny coat on the outside, I think there was somewhat of a dark undertone, and we're gonna get to that as we talk about some of the things that we think define the eighties uh we're gonna uh, let's get the dark and gritty stuff out of the way. We're gonna be talking a little bit about politics. And social issues, but don't worry, we're not going to spend a. What's it? <laughs> I said, do I have to? <laughs> we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, and and some right, of the, right. And trust me, one of the reasons I want to talk about the politics and social issues is because I think that is relevant to some of the other things we're going to talk about, like uh, you know, science, technology, and entertainment. So to start. The '80s, they didn't quite open with much of much optimism, because you may recall we had the oil embargoes back in '73 and '79, where Mm -hmm. you know there were. I'm sure your parents have probably told you stories about waiting in line for 45 minutes, you know, and to get gas for their car. And there was, you know, some stations they had gas rationing where, you know, they wouldn't let you fill up your tank unless you were, you know, less than half a tank full. And, you know, also the other thing that really kind of hung over the 80s was the Cold War. And I think this, this is why I think that it's relevant is that we often saw cold, the Cold War and those, those themes. Reflected in the various movies, media, and to some extent, I would even say sports. Now, Mm -hmm. the decade also did uh, have—I don't think it
1: was—go back to the sports real quick. Mm -hmm. I mean, it started with the Miracle on Ice.
0: Yep, I was—I was actually at some my list of things to talk about. So,
1: I mean, yeah, it was—it was—it was was us versus them at, at that point. I don't remember much about it. I was pretty squat little turd at that time, but.
0: Yeah, because the, because back then, see, the thing that was unique about it, because I read a little bit about it in researching for the show, and the, you know, the the Russians, you know, of course, back then, and, you know, to some extent, this attitude towards Russia is starting to reemerge, but, you know, they were, you know, the Ruskies, the Reds, the Kami's the evil empire, you know, that that had this huge stockpile of nuclear weapons just pointed at the U.S. and just, you know, they're just waiting for the – with their finger hovering millimeters above the trigger.
1: And and, and, oh, and you know what? Entertainment really grabbed that, that brass ring like they did in the 60s because you saw that in the 1960s with James Bond movies and things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, yes, a lot of them were specter, but there was also a lot – um they, they like to play off the Soviet thing. Yeah. And then in the eighties that came back. Anything from was it Rocky Four? Oh yeah. Yeah, and the, yeah. And um uh Nikolai Volkov and um what was it uh Iron Sheen was another
0: Well Nikhil well, no, well, Nikhil yeah. Koloff. I know he was another one, yeah. but yeah, and uh, you're making a good point when we talk about sports, Because uh, with the miracle on ice uh from what i remember reading it's we had primarily a younger less experienced um amateur team Well, i believe the russians were using professionals and they thought that we were going to get crushed and event they ended up winning mm-hmm. but when you mentioned a couple of wrestlers uh, again nikolai volkov is one of them and then again i think the one in the w in the uh nwa it was, was to- right yeah you know usually whenever you had a a wrestler back then that was pitched that was billed as being from Russia which of course they weren't always necessarily from Russia like i believe Nikita Koloff was actually from like Minnesota um but he was from the US and uh, Nikolai Volkov was actually from somewhere in eastern europe i think mm-hmm. but usually they were pictured as being they were almost always Heels, and one thing that was interesting what they did with um with Nikita Koloff is when the the Soviets and the U.S. started to reestablish relationships, that's when they made him take a face turn, and he tag teamed with the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, as the Superpowers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you you made a good point when we see that in. A lot of times we saw that in uh, media, movies, TV shows. Um, and again, just to get back to what I was saying about how the 80s started. We also had that recession. And we started to see a lot of manufacturing jobs move to other countries, which, you know, that's one of those things where there's kind of there's two sides to that coin. On I'd one, argue three. Okay. Um, so what what's three sides do you think there would be cuz I mean on one hand you've got yes there's a loss of US jobs but then again mm-hmm. by making these electronics in these countries that where the companies could get cheaper labor for good or ill that helped make the electronics that we enjoyed more affordable so again you didn't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or you know, a millionaire businessman just to own a, a VHS player.
1: Mm-hmm. The the third, I just want to note, this is also the time because there's always that 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 whole thing about oh they're moving the jobs they took the jobs and all that other stuff, and a lot of people ignore the fact that automation takes away a lot more, and automation started to really kick in in the eighties.
0: That is true, and so yeah, I, that's I didn't actually consider that. So that's actually a good point. But and again, for good or ill, yeah, people lost their jobs, which you know again is tragic. But then again, it also made a lot consumer electronics more affordable. Um, so I guess again, you got to take the you know you got to take the good with the bad. There um, also we saw in government there was more an emphasis towards deregulation. And another one of the political issues we saw back then was the whole, you know, trickle-down economics started to uh, get more popularity. Again, this idea that, you know, okay, you give all the money to the wealthy, they're going to use that money to invest in their businesses, and then they're going to create more jobs, and all, all those new jobs is going to create... More of a demand for consumer goods, which in turn is going to stir the economy, and companies are going to need to create more jobs and such. And now, we're not going to really debate the effectiveness of trickle-down economics and how it didn't work. Uh, at least mm-hmm. it didn't work in the way that it was promised that it would work. But I think that's something that d- was very much the the spirit of the age, or part of that zeitgeist,
1: and this is something that i think most people won't won't be able to to deny on either side of the aisle the media deregulation is pretty much the reason why we are where we are with newspapers radio and tv
0: yeah and the deregulation that actually is going to play into when we talk a little later about entertainment uh specifically saturday morning cartoons but you are correct that is one thing we did see a lot of during the the 80s there was in the reagan administration and and again we're not here to debate whether you know how good ronald reagan was as a president it's just one of those things that you know we're walking
1: on eggshells here folks
0: yes like i said we're not here to really focus on the politics it's just we're we're kind of giving you um okay, this is why at least in my opinion, why I think some of the stuff that happened was what made some of the things we saw in the eighties possible, and again uh some of it there were positive outcomes, but there were also negative outcomes with it as well but so again i those are things that I think did shape the eighties you know you had we were recovering from well, it started out with that um you know, the the recession, and one of the things that a lot of people do say about Reagan, whether you liked him or hated him, he did always try to have that sunny, optimistic persona. And, you know, perhaps that's one of the things that we needed at that point in the country's history. You know, again, we also had the Cold War, which we're going to be talking about how that influenced the, uh, a lot of the media and entertainment that we saw. And, you know, again, the deregulation, how that actually led to something that, well, indir—well, I don't know if you want to say directly or indirectly, but it led to something that was very near and dear to me during my childhood. Before we move on to the fun stuff, mm-hmm. one, uh, the, the other thing we got to talk about, and again, to some extent, I think this did play into some of the things we saw in popular culture back in the 80s, social issues. What would you say is probably one of the defining social issues of the nineteen eighties?
1: I hate to say it, but it's a little political okay and i'm I'm not gonna take take uh, uh partisan sides except for the fact that tipper can piss off because <laughs> it was the it was the parents music resource center
0: okay so good that that uh, is oh go ahead
1: when And the thing is that if you you go back to the PMRC hearings in Congress, you'll note that, I mean, there are committees for almost, for a lot of various things. But those weren't in the committees that had to do with things like media and entertainment. They were in other committees that just happened to coincide with the ones that her husband was in. (laughs) okay and 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 you really can't say and I'm I I don't want that to sound like I said partisan because um Susan Baker was the other half of that and she was um oh what was his name? James uh, Baker J- James Baker's okay. wife James Baker who eventually became secretary of state under I believe George H W Bush so it was a bipartisan thing in a way um and and when you have And when the record companies had to get and actually they didn't want people to go in and and, and step up. But there were three guys who did and and blessed them all. And actually, one of them took the most heat. Uh, It was Frank Zappa, T. Snyder and john denver
0: yep and i remember d snyder i saw an old footage from the uh some footage from that hearing he actually went you know he was in his stage getup with the frizzy hair and he
1: he looked like 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 his picture on the back of the stay hungry hungry elbow
0: yeah and i mean
1: with the the sleeveless denim jacket and all that
0: yeah and and i never really listened to a lot of twisted sister but i have a lot of respect for d snyder um
1: and here's it it kind of mirrors something that happened. I I, I hate to I don't want these two things to seem parallel in, in importance because they sure as hell aren't. But it's a situation where where one of them had to take the heat, kind of like ten years later when the click did that thing in, and and Triple H basically took all of the blame with Vince. Um, John Denver took it the worst because D. Snyder was selling. So Atlantic wasn't going to hurt him for doing that. Frank Zappa, he had so much control over his own music and the way he did things that there was no way you could touch him. So John Denver was the one who got cut from his record contract.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that. But, well, another one of the social issues, and this is something that us as role players, of course, are familiar with. And I know both of us have discussed this topic on our shows and this actually goes hand in hand with uh, the Parents Musical Research Center. You know what that is?
1: Bothered about Dungeons as a Dragon.
0: <laughs> in other words, the <laughs> Satanic Panic.
1: Hold on, hold on, hold on. You got to do this right. The, the uh, <laughs> Satanic <laughs> Panic. <laughs> Yes, because and, – and I think – They were scared. Par- What's that? Parents were scared. Because let me tell you something. There is P- – e- e, even today, right, even today, no matter what, a parent will tell you the things they fear the most, right? Mm-hmm. They could be like, oh, uh, uh, terrorists or people who don't religion or this or that or the other thing. You know what most do these parents fear the most more than anything in the world? Teenagers, especially their own, and that and that's kind of where this came out where the p m r c thank you, tipper, for rooting my record collection the p m r c at b a d d was teenagers playing games and listening to rock and roll music, and the parents were upset they didn't understand it
0: yeah, and I think part one of the things we can kind of owe to this is and, and again, this goes back to politics. The rise of evangelical right wing Christians and their influence in government, which you know, and again, not bashing on anyone who necessarily follows that ideology, but I think it was relevant there. And
1: I will, I will say this though, she denied it for for many many years when people asked Tipper about her connections to the Moral Majority. What's the one out in Colorado, the Christian Coalition and some of these right wing um, religious groups? And she denied it and she denied it and she denied it. But they they were positively impacting her cause. She, she was getting money from them. Yeah. And, and
0: when we look at, uh, you know, with the satanic panic and we talk, of course, you know, we both of us have talked before about Dungeons and Dragons and how the Satanic Panic influenced that. And part of it, I think, we almost have to excuse that there was so much ignorance about D&D because back in the early 80s when the Satanic Panic had reached its height, there wasn't, D&D was still fairly young and role-playing games as a hobby was still in its infancy. So yeah, it was going to be easy to people to it was going to be easy for people to spread lies and bad information about dungeons and dragons and it was going to be a little harder to actually find better information because of course while the internet was was kind of around back then it was nowhere near as commonplace as Mm -hmm. it became in the 90s you know
1: though actually i think the satanic panic you really got to go back for that further. Um, it, it may have shown its ugly face in the eighties, but it, it's deeply rooted into the seventies.
0: Yeah. Cause I think for a while there was the, the Satanism trend in movies. I, I remember seeing one movie. Uh, it, this was like back on one of the UHF channels when I was a kid, uh, it was like some Sunday afternoon movie and it's called Satan's cheerleaders. And I, don't remember if it if it was a movie that was made in the 70s or the 80s uh, i think devil's Reign was another movie that was made around that particular time period
1: is um, that the one with LeVay?
0: um no the devil's rain is the one that had william shatner and ernest bordenine okay and then uh, mary's baby i think was again we're going to just kind of group this era from like around the 70s to the um you know the 80s but uh, Rosemary's Baby, and then, uh, what was the other one? Omen? That was
1: late 60s. Rosemary's Babies. and oh, um yeah. Actually, sorry. Uh, on Deep Purple's third album, this was the last one they did with their original singer, uh, they had a song called Why Didn't Rosemary? And the whole song is about, well, why didn't she just take the pill or get an abortion?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. The Omen. Uh, that one, that one actually had... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that one, I... Th- wasn't Leonard Nimoy – I think he was in one of the the Omen movies, but uh, that one was from the 70s. Gregory what about,
1: Peck was in the original.
0: Yeah, The Exorcist. Uh, when did that come out?
1: That was the 70s.
0: So, yeah, you know, we did have that uh, trend of
1: – This is Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween. Um, I want to say the first um, – the first Friday the 13th movie was either filmed in 1979 or released in
0: 1979. Yeah. So so all that helped kind of helped stir the pot where um, they were, you know, that made these these people think that there was some sort of demonic influence over America. And
1: well. The late sixties is also when Anton LaVey formed his Church of Satan in the Black House in San Francisco. He, he made a lot of claims that there were people going to his black masses. Um, some of the names off the top of my head, I remember hearing about was he claimed uh, Sammy Davis Jr., Jane Mansfield, and oh man, I can't think of the third one. But they claimed that they they were at the Black House at the at these satanic masses. So then you had, and and the this is kind of the other thing you had this kind of post hippie. Um, I don't want to call it psychedelic because there, but there was some psychedelia in there of some of these groups, which sometimes are lumped into a, a genre called proto metal, that like Led Zeppelin, where the stories came around about about the satanic pact that Jimmy Page supposedly made them all take and the only one who didn't was John Paul Jones which is why he's the only one who seems to have escaped Led Zeppelin relatively unscathed without things like drug habits um, and, and Page was very open about his affection for Aleister Crowley then you had obviously you had some of the really dark themes and things like Black Sabbath and and this all kind of started the ball rolling
0: you know and it's funny when you look back at the satanic panic i mean yeah we look at how you know crazy and um you know mad it was but there's another podcast i listened to monster talk and they had mm-hmm. an episode where they were talking about uh it was called ld20 Diablo, and i've referred to this episode every now and then but they were talking about role-playing games and the satanic panic and one of the guests on that show was saying, you, "You know you look, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember exactly how he put it, but you know you look back at it, you know, the people who were playing D and D, most of us, it was just a game that we played. You know, how some people would play you know, a game of chess or checkers. But mm-hmm. really, it was the Satanic panic Crusaders. They were the ones living in the world of witchards of witches and wizards and demons and black magic. Where the rest of us, like, oh, we're pretending to be elves and knights and dwarves, you know?
1: And part of it is this lack of understanding. Let's consider the fact, and you have to be honest, there is a faction of people who play the games that take it too far and kind of lose it. But there's also about, you know, there's also a good chunk of people who go to casinos and overdo it and lose their house. There are also people who can't handle the fact that their favorite team loses a football game on a Sunday and almost murders their, their spouse by beating on them. Oh, okay. Yeah. There is you can take almost any one of these these things and you can find these extreme nuts. But they decided that they were going to focus on on the kid who supposedly disappeared in the the steam tunnels and ended up in like, what was it? New Orleans or yep. something like that.
0: Well, and another one of the social issues of the day, AIDS, which, mm-hmm. and pardon my vulgarity, because this is how I've heard uh, people describe it, but it was seen as the gay cancer because back then, and again, this is just one of the problems back then is since very little was understood about AIDS, the, there was so much misconceptions. People believed you could get AIDS from casual contact um, or from a toilet seat, from sharing a cup. And this led to a lot of, um, you know, when we're going to talk about Ryan White in just a moment, but again, the this is one of the other major criticisms of the Reagan administration is that they were slow to acknowledge it and and act on it. And the attitude that I've heard some people say back then was that, well, remember it was the gay cancer. Only homosexuals got AIDS. If you weren't a homosexual, you weren't going to get AIDS. And again, this is well, what,
1: it make it even more disgusting. There were certain preachers um,
0: that AIDS is punishment from God.
1: AIDS, yes, um, I know. Who's the, the fat one that died? Jerry Falwell used to talk like that. I almost, if I I, I remember hearing Billy Graham say something similar to that. Yeah, and it's I don't like, remember the exact phrasing.
0: Yeah, and the attitude among some people back then was, oh, a bunch of, of gay people are going to die. Where's the problem? Which, you know, again, looking back, it's easy for us to... I mean, again, personally, it it disgusts me when I hear how people used to talk back then. And it wasn't
1: the way some people talk now.
0: Yeah. And (laughs) I mean, Ryan White was one of the, you know, the people who helped steer us away from uh, this notion that AIDS was just a gay thing because he was a, a younger kid who got AIDS from a blood transfusion. And right. the poor kid was kicked out of school because, you know, both teachers and other students thought that he was going to be a danger. And uh, when he was allowed to go back into a school, he had to use his own, he had to use a specific restroom. And he also had to use disposable utensils uh, because, again, at this time they thought that, as I said, you just have contact with something that. An AIDS victim touched you are also going to get AIDS. Eddie Murphy, I remember one of his old stand-up comedy routines. Again, this was at the time when very when AIDS was not very well understood. But he had one stand-up comedy where he was saying that, okay, you know, now you have AIDS, you know, you know, and and women are hanging out with gay men, and you know, they that gay man gives a woman a kiss, and she goes home with the AIDS on her lips, and um. You know, and again, we we have to really uh, kind of see that as a sign of the times because, yeah, back then they thought it was possible to get AIDS from a kiss.
1: And to be honest, you got to gotta give – Eddie Murphy has admitted that he probably shouldn't have told those jokes. He has expressed his remorse saying that's, that's the way it was then and I, I was wrong and now I don't feel that way. So you kind of ha- – you almost have to give Eddie Murphy a, a –
0: a little Printed. bit of a pass. Well, actually, I I used to have that tape. I don't know if I still have it, but at the end of that scene where he was talking about homosexuals, he
1: mm-hmm. was like,
0: you know, he even said this and he sounded very sincere. He's like, you know, guys, I don't want you feeling alienated about gay people just because they're gay. Because you can play tennis with a gay person. And then some people in the audience were yeah. chuckling. He's like, yeah, really, you can. It's just after the game, you're going to be like... I'm gonna go get a beer. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go somebody's. Dick. Well, I'll see you later. You, you you take it easy. You go that. I'm gonna have the beer.
1: And, and you know what? For the '80s, that was considered relatively tolerant.
0: The other major issue that I think really helped define the '80s was the "just say no" movement and the war on drugs, because that was another thing that we would see in appearing in TV shows and sometimes even video games. Do you remember the game NARC? Yeah. Uh, And then also, uh, I think it was Punky Brewster, but I remember there was one, um, you know, sitcom back then that was aimed towards kids where they had the just say no um, in that as well.
1: And showed up on different strokes.
0: Oh yeah. So that was another thing that I really felt define some of the social issues of the 80s so we've talked about politics we talked about social issues what do you say now we go to some of the stuff that most people aren't going to find controversial and possibly offensive atari Well, <laughs> okay so well we'll go to entertainment and technology and one of the other things that i think really And actually, I want to go back a little bit because we also have to kind of talk, think about the space programs that NASA was doing. Now, in the, as I recall, in the early part of the 80s, up until the Challenger disaster, there was a bit more emphasis on manned exploration. I mean, I don't know if you remember hearing about the space shuttle when it first started to, uh, when they first launched it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was almost like, what is this, a reusable spacecraft? You know, these are the kind of things that people in science fiction movies and TV shows had been and books had been talking about for ages. So, I think that's one thing that excited people but, I don't think some people realize how much our daily lives have been shaped by the space program. Because you think about it, okay, a a spacecraft is only going to have a certain amount of space. Well, you're going to have lots of computers and fancy electrical equipment running these craft, right? You got to try to think mm-hmm. of a way to make it smaller and more compact. And I think that's one of the other things that, um, you know, again, maybe some people don't think about, but this emphasis to develop smaller, uh, more compact and more powerful electronics. Well, that, that has led us to the, uh, the laptop that I'm talking with you on right now.
1: Mm hmm.
0: So are there any other scientific events of the 80s that you specifically remember or that maybe uh, you were, you found exciting?
1: I remember watching the Challenger blow up live on TV in my third grade class.
0: OK, that's definitely memorable. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You just watch the teachers trying to explain that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can look back at it now and go, <laughs> yeah, that was ironic. Yeah, but yeah, it was pretty crushing.
0: Oh, I know. And um, and, and as I recall, there was, in the aftermath of Challenger, there was a lot of talk about would we ever go back into space again?
1: I want to say it was a good year, year and a half before they sent another shuttle up.
0: Yeah, and, and there were also some uh, memorable events in unmanned exploration because during the 80s, that's when we had the Voyager 2 flybys of Uranus and Neptune. Mm-hmm. And I think there were a couple other significant probes that were launched back then.
1: I Oh, yeah. There there were some serious. um, I remember, because I used to get National Geographic, and those first just brightly colored photos of Uranus right on the cover. Uranus. 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 Nope. (sighs) Uranus. And it's funny. Are you 12? You know what? It's, it's funny. Kornheiser is like in his 60s, and he still thinks this is funny, and he does like a Uranus joke at least three times a month on PTI. I can make the joke.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank and, you. um, you know, uh, Uranus what was it? Sideways. You've probably seen um the occasional episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, right? Oh,
1: sure, yeah.
0: Uh, there was this one I caught part of. They were watching some old Hercules movie, and there was someone in set in it, you know, and I think these, these are the ones with, like, Lou uh, Some One of the characters in the movie said, by the blood of Uranus. And then they, of course, are like, ah!
1: <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Immature, but funny, yes. and you know, What's the point of living if you can't laugh at a Uranus joke? Okay,
0: yes. Like, Uranus. It's one of the planets you can't see with the naked eye.
1: Did you know there's rings around Uranus?
0: I've heard there's and while I know there's not a ring of debris around my Uranus, I mean I mean mine. I mean maybe there's a ring of debris around Uranus, but not mine.
1: Well uranus is composed mostly of gas.
0: <laughs> yes, and as green gas. Yes, and there's also lots of things moving around Uranus.
1: Well, and that gas happens to be methane.
0: And uh Uranus is uh rolling like a barrel. Okay, uh yeah, I'm 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 checking out. <laughs>
1: That's okay. We'll move on.
0: So, technology. And this is one of the things where I think we again, when especially when we look at home computers, this is where we really started to see the growth of computers as you know, a consumer product because earlier Uh, You know, of course, we remember back in like the 50s and stuff, you had the computers that were about the size of a small house and eventually they started to get smaller and smaller and more powerful. And, you know, in like the 70s, you know, and even into the early 80s, computers were seen as more of a hobbyist thing, you know, most, because, you know, it took a lot of um,
1: Well, like the Sinclair's you had to build yourself, same with the first Apple.
0: Oh yeah, so it was something that just not everyone could do until they started mass producing them. And what would you? What do you think is one of the most significant developments in computer technology
1: at around this time? At 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 the risk of losing a whole bunch of your Apple fanboys, because they're going to stop hearing my voice when I mention their name just because they love the company so much. But believe it or not, I I want to say that. It was the introduction of the Macintosh because you have to understand a lot of what went into the Macintosh became standard for PCs as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And because for me, it was the GUI, you know, the graphical user interface that we yep. know and love because, uh, you know, and, a lot of the older computers
1: and, and I the can, Macintosh was one of the first. Yeah, because
0: I vaguely remember when I was younger, um, We, I, when my sister and I, we went to some summer school type thing, you know, summer camp, when we did computers in there, it was a lot of, it was command line prompts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you still had some graphical stuff like who can forget, you know, you have died of dysentery on the, the Oregon trail. And, you know, occasionally at my, when I was in elementary school, we got to play math blaster in the school library.
1: And most of those games, you had to load off of your five and a quarters.
0: Yep, exactly. And and that's another thing we saw. We um we saw the media storage for computers get smaller and more efficient. Because yeah, you had the original floppy disks, which were, which were in fact floppy. But then we got the was it like a three and a quarter?
1: Well, it went from like a seven seven incher to the five and a quarter to the three and a half.
0: Yeah. And which you know, also had the hard case around it for the increased durability. So this is, and again, the, just the improvements in computing technology, I think, really uh, is another one of those things that uh, really defined the 80s. Now, granted, I don't think computers really started to take off until the 90s, yeah. but you know, now we could again, we saw them become become more affordable. They became a lot more user-friendly, so now you didn't have to be some tech nerd in order to be able to use a computer and just run a simple program. Mm -hmm. So moving on, now let's talk a little bit about entertainment. And this is where we're going to... We talked a little bit about politics before and social issues. And again, these are things that did play into entertainment. And I'd like to talk about Saturday morning cartoons first. Now... I don't know about you, but well, just cartoons in general, because back then, I mean, cartoons were a lot more common on network TV because it seems they really don't do the, And and of course, there's reasons for this, but you really don't see as many cartoons on the network TVs anymore. It's almost like you see most of them on cable. Yeah, because well,
1: part of that is two big reasons. Actually, I should say one reason. The, the network Saturday morning cartoon ratings just dumped.
0: Yep. And I mean, if we go back to when it first started and this, we talked a little bit about deregulation before. This is one of the things that helped pave the way for these cartoons that we loved so much. And it wasn't just Saturday morning. You know, as I recall, usually there was about a an hour and a half to two hour cartoon block before school. And there was about a two to two and a half hour block after school. Uh, Three to five, s- yeah. Yep. Saturday morning there was about a I'm wanting to say about a five or six hour block.
1: And, I it was like seven to ten or something like that.
0: See, I always remember eleven. Yeah, I always remember it going a little later because I think uh, at least as, as I recall, usually you didn't they didn't start transitioning until into normal programming until around eleven thirty or so. Um, I never
1: made it that far. My mother always kicked us out.
0: <laughs> go out and play. <laughs> but, and then Sunday, you know, even Sunday usually had about a good two or three hour block. That's when I remember I used to watch Transformers. Uh, when I first watched the episodes, it was a Sunday morning cartoon back then. And I remember eventually, I know for a while it was a it was a morning show. I don't know if it ever was uh, after school in my market.
1: big one after school for me was Voltron.
0: Yep, Voltron. I should
1: say the Lion Voltron. The vehicle Voltron was always in the morning, and I didn't want to bother with that one because that was a fake Voltron, and only the real Voltron fans like the (laughs) Lion.
0: And Robotech, I think, I can't remember if Robotech was a morning or an afternoon show. Um,
1: I think it was morning, but I'm not sure.
0: But one of the reasons we saw a lot of this big boom in Saturday morning programming was due to deregulation, because now you could advertise towards children when you couldn't really do that before. Because as much as I loved shows like Transformers and G.I. Joe, let's face it, they were more or less a toy commercial Mm -hmm. that was 22 minutes long and had a plot to it.
1: There's another thing that you, you gotta consider too that really helped the cartoons, especially um, the weekly morning and afternoon ones. Was this rise of there were the, the the independent channels started doing better, and syndicated programming really started to become popular. Oh yeah, uh, like Inspector Gadget, Voltron again. He Man. Uh, there were there's He Man thundercats yeah and they were all syndicated and you kind of had to carry them
0: yeah and yeah because those are other ones that i remember watching uh both i think usually after school but and i don't know it just it seemed like more of an experience back then because uh you know if you had this cartoon that was only on saturday morning you had something to anticipate now I was lucky because I only had one sister, um, so I didn't usually didn't have to fight too badly for the TV. But I know you had three siblings. Uh, was Saturday morning always a battle in your household, or was it usually resolved pretty peacefully?
1: I lost on Saturdays. <laughs> I was I was subjected to uh, um, the Muppet Babies. My sisters like.
0: I used to watch that show and I enjoyed
1: it. Uh, Pee Wee's Play, although I liked Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yep, that was same here. Awesome. Um, and it's partially because I was always so insistent on, um, on on after school. No, you guys are shutting up, Voltron's on. <laughs> I got Voltron, so I gave up Saturdays. Yep, I was like, you guys can have Saturday. You giving me my Voltron half hour every day?
0: Yeah, and and another reason that I think that these uh. Shows were more of an experience is because, remember, in the earlier part of the 80s, VHS players and, and you know, the VCRs where you could actually record, they weren't as common and widespread as they would be later in the 80s when the prices started to come down. So, you Did know, you if pick you pick the wrong one. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And, um oh, yeah, I still remember the first show, the first show I ever tried to record with a VCR. I remember we had cable at the time, and we had gotten cable fairly recently. You know, not too much before, or the, I lost my train of thought. But we had gotten cable, and we, we, my sister and I, saved up our money and we bought a VCR. And I remember I wanted to record this Gallagher special that was on, and mm-hmm. I don't think he's as active as he used to be. But uh, maybe for some of our younger listeners who don't remember Gallagher, uh, he was a prop comedian. And his big thing is he did a lot of he did a lot of uh, comedy that involved smashing fruit and food. So, sledgehammer. Yep, the sledgehammer, this huge wooden sledgehammer. And usually the first few rows, you know, where everyone there, you know, had the plastic tarps over them. But I tried recording that, but I didn't set my VCR correctly. Uh, back then, they were a lot harder to figure out. I think. And I ended up recording like an hour and a half of Yo! MTV raps instead.
1: So I didn't get to see Gallagher, but I got to see Kumo D. <laughs> exactly. Um,
0: but the thing that, and we we talked a little bit about the decline, and there were a couple of things that I think really caused the decline. Part of it was regulations. Uh, around the late 80s and into the, the early 90s, there was a new regulation where Network TV had to have a certain number of hours of educational, informative shows per week. And if you've ever seen a TV show on network TV, if you see like a little E slash E, that's what that means. It's, it's a little graphic in the upper corner that's short for educational, informative. Um So, you know, usually like, uh you know, they might put some science show or some zoology show among the Saturday morning cartoons but I think what really did it is cable tv because again remember cable tv was starting to become more widespread and more more affordable and you know it started out you had like the Disney Channel and uh, what some of the other ones like Nickelodeon where they could get away with showing more cartoons and more adult or more not more adult but more children's programming because they didn't have to abide by the same requirements
1: the greatest show ever on nickelodeon is was and will always be you can't do that on television oh no kidding and you know what surprised me when i found out Alanis Morissette got her start there yep (laughs) and 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 adam and alistair fought over her yes
0: this episode of Geekery in General brought to you by Ross's Agorama.
1: Anyways. <laughs>
0: but anyways, um, so yeah, and then of course Cartoon Network came along and so yeah, the unfortunately that was the death knell for Saturday morning and after school and before school TV. But mm. you know, and just one of the things that was kind of strange about this era is they would make cartoons over just about anything. Did you know that Rambo had an after school cartoon?
1: Were you serious?
0: Yeah, it was called Rambo, the Force of Freedom. Now what? I Shut really up. wish no, seriously. I really wish I could be a fly on the wall of that meeting where they said, okay, let's take this R rated violent movie series and turn it into us an after school cartoon.
1: Well, you got to understand, there was a lot of cocaine in the 80s.
0: <laughs> well, then we also go back to the Cold War because, I mean, I'm sure back then Rambo probably fought the Russians. Um, also, Highlander, though I think that one act didn't come around until the, the, the 90s. But again, you've got a movie series and a TV series about people who cut each other's heads off with swords. Whose idea was to but- turn that into a Saturday
1: morning cartoon? Whose idea was it not to, <laughs> but could have been worse than Highlander Two the quickening I have not seen that movie,
0: but I've never heard anything good about it.
1: yeah, pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> from what I understand it, it, that's... put it in the same place as we're putting Gary Sharon's Van Halen album
0: <laughs> no, but just about everyone I know who've seen who's seen Highlander Two is that same thing. just just pretend it doesn't exist, just move along.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I'm not, I, I can't, I can't keep going with that. I'm just going to let that, that one just go. Yeah. Frost me.
0: And, you know, there's this network, when talking about cable, MTV, what does the M stand for in MTV?
1: Uh, well, it, it used to stand for music because they actually played music videos.
0: Yeah, that that's right. And did stand for music, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I don't I remember it was a big event when um the Michael Jackson Thriller video oh uh, yeah came out. <laughs> and and I'm I'm happy that I got to see it that night because it was it was in one of those very short windows where we had cable because what would happen is my dad would want cable so he could watch the football games without the fuzz. Then he'd get pissed off at the at at the at the bill going up, and he'd cut it. Yeah, this happened and, at least seven times.
0: Yeah, and I remember, um, I mean, I remember one friend of mine saying that it's like, yeah, uh, they actually used to that video was so popular they actually used to post a schedule of when they were going to show it, and mm-hmm. it was a it was actually a really good music video for its day, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's one of the things that. Uh, again, really helped launch a lot of artists is when we did start to see the music videos.
1: Yeah. It's, it's mean, not they, the, I don't think it's the best video that ever came out, but it's, I mean, it, it's, it's very good. Best one is still Money for Nothing by Dire Straight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And, uh,
1: and Take On Me.
0: Th- yeah, that, that was a good video too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you had, uh, MTV, it became not just a place where you could watch the music. It, you know, it became almost like a, a way of life and almost yeah. like a fashion as well.
1: Yeah, well, and it was that that was where Kiss officially debuted, re themselves without the makeup. Um, what was his name? JJ J. Jackson hosted it.
0: Yep, and a little bit of trivia: Do you remember the TV show that Kiss premiered on?
1: Oh hell no!
0: It was the Paul Lynn show. It was a Halloween
1: special. Paul, you you mean Roger the Alien?
0: No, Paul Lynn.
1: Yeah, Roger the Alien.
0: Oh, okay, that. Oh, okay. Oh, he American plays Ro- it's Okay, a Bad show.
1: It, you you watch American Dad? The Roger the Alien. I swear, Seth MacFarlane completely ripped off Paul Lynn. <laughs>
0: But yeah, a friend of mine played a clip for it one time and it's like he was saying, "Oh, I bet I know how you got your your uh your uh your stage name and stage gear. I bet you had a fight and your friend your mom mother's told you to kiss and make up." And of course, like from what I understand, the members were just kind of sitting there like, "Uh, who is this guy?"
1: Yeah, and then he he probably responded with with his usual <laughs> yeah.
0: And you know, and of course, we could we could we could probably do an entire episode on just the music of the 80s how you know yeah we had the you know the 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 british metal that started to invade america uh the glam rock and uh you know and then of course we had the pop rock as well and and you know and it, saw,
1: it would P- it would also probably be neglectful to men, to not mention that it was a it was also a trans transitional period when it came to music media. Um when you opened up the eighties, LPs were the king. And then you know A-Tracks were still relatively popular. Tapes were starting to come up. Uh A-Track died in the eighties. The last ones that came out in a record club in the record clubs, I believe, in like nineteen eighty eight. And then, of course, 1983 CD came out, but the tape cassette was king in the 80s.
0: Oh, yeah. Remember, they actually had a they had stores dedicated just to tapes, Tape World.
1: I, mean, I, I I still can't listen to Here I Go Again by Whitesnake without hearing the tape hiss.
0: <laughs> but, well, I think we're about ready to draw this episode to a close. and. I mean, what I really wanted to do is just kind of look back and, you know, look at some of the things that we felt really shaped the eighties and I maybe a future topic. One of these days we'll do an entire show just about the music of the eighties. Cause I think we could easily do that. Um, yeah. and of course there's a lot of stuff we, you know, we haven't, uh, touched, you know, like the movies of the eighties now video games, which again, we saw rise in popularity. And, you know, we look at the, uh, the technology back at the beginning, we had like Coleco and television and, you know, Atari and near the end, we still had the NES chugging along as well as, uh, the Sega Genesis, which was released in the late eighties as well. But, oh, a
1: Master System, you forgot about.
0: Oh, yeah, that was still chugging along too. And, um, you know, of course, we've done a three part episode on the, uh, the console war. So, you know, go back and listen to that if you have a chance. Mm-hmm. So if we had to sum it up, what would you say? How would you describe the 80s? Do you think it truly was this carefree time that some people look back at it and finally remember it for? Or do you think that it was just almost kind of like a parody of itself? Or if you had to sum up the 80s, how would you describe it?
1: I don't think I could. I would argue that neither of those are of those statements is true. Most of the people. That look at the '80s as a parody. They're looking at some small little fads, right? And they're not looking at it as a big picture. I mean, okay, giant. You know, they'll be like they'll show you the the most outrageous of fashions, and and I look at that and I'm thinking to myself, I I I lived through the '80s. I don't remember anybody walking around like that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And I I guess if I had to sum it up, I would again, it's really going to, uh, depend on, on, where you were coming from and how you grew up back then. Uh, cause there's a lot of stuff we haven't talked about. Um, you know, like the consumerism and the materialism that we saw then. But I mean, I, I think I stand by my original statement that I think a lot of the eighties was about escapism because mm-hmm. again, it, we were still in the cold war. So it, We were, there were people that were afraid that Russia was going to nuke us at any minute. So I had,
1: I had elementary school teachers point blank say, yeah, if, 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 if a nuclear strike ever goes off in Milwaukee or Chicago, go ahead, go under your desk. You're not living through it.
0: Yeah. And and if you really want to go back in my back catalog of episodes uh, around episode, I think it was episode 60, I did an entire episode where I talked about the Cold War and, um, you know, it was an episode called Cold War Campaigning, just talking about how to run a game session during the Cold War, but I talked a little bit about the history then too. Um, so yeah, again, I think it was that escapism and that that threat of nuclear war is what led to some of the things we saw, like again, the consumerism, the rising credit card debt, because hey, Russia could nuke us any day, so might as well live it up. Mm-hmm. So, Dan. If people want to find you living it up, where can they find you living it up?
1: They can't. I'm too busy working to live it up. <laughs> A joy. <laughs> uh, but, yes, you, you can check out my podcast at com. But there is no living it up. I have paychecks to go get. <laughs> and and children, that's done. <laughs> that is true so
0: well I'd like to thank you for joining us everyone and have a good evening or morning or afternoon whatever it is wherever you are and happy gaming you have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network visit us at POIGamestudio.podbean.com for more shows Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio. Do you do a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing games, video games, or other topics of geek interest? Would you like to cross-promote your podcast on geekery in general? Then drop us a line on our Facebook page at POI Game Studio or POI Network or contact us through our website at POIGameStudio.com and we'll set something up.